The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Uh, sometimes if you've heard a sermon on giving, uh, you would have heard a number of statistics about uh, the way Jesus talks about giving and uh, finances in the gospel accounts. You might have heard something along the lines of 11 out of 39 parables that Jesus tells are about finances and giving, or you might have heard that one out of every seven verses for example, in the Gospel of Luke, or talk about money, um, or that in the Gospels in general, one out of every 10 verses talks about money and finances. Um, these are certainly true, but they're kind of like, uh, I don't know if you know that phrase from Stephen Colbert, like truthy, you know, like truthish. They're kind of true, but not, not totally accurate. Um, we have, uh, do we have the slides for the sermon up, by the way? Um, we, Jesus, in Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6, 24, um, he says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so, yes, Jesus is talking about money, but when Jesus talks about money and finances and our giving, he is doing it in a way to get at the heart of who we are and how we follow God. Because our money reflects our inner values, our inner desires, our inner, inner our hearts, and so when Jesus talks about money, yes, it's true he's talking about finances, but when he tells you, like, that's not like, you don't take that and then go, go to the bank and say, well, you know what, guys, like, here's how I'm going to handle my money. Like, that doesn't tell you what to do with your money. It gets at the heart of who you are because Jesus' aim is shaping how we think about our finances as an expression of our hearts and our discipleship to him. So we are going to be talking about money this morning and giving and finances, and I want you to understand that if you're a guest with us for the first time, um, in the four years of our history as a church, this is the first time I've preached on giving, so maybe you've come from church backgrounds where you talk about giving all the time. Um, this is one out of 200 sermons in the last <laughs> four years, so uh, first time we're talking about this, and I will say this is not a topic that I'm like overly comfortable talking about, right? Um, I recognize that there is a great deal of... Um, conflict of interest, so to speak, and how I could stand up here and talk about this. Because when we talk about giving and giving to the church, we are indirectly, though very obviously talking about Jacob's getting paid or not. <laughs> you know, and, and I could go up here and say, well, if you want to see diapers on my kids, uh, <laughs> something like that. I don't want to do that, and that's not my desire at all. Uh, but I have been encouraged by our leadership um, and to the dyna dynamics of our church to speak to this topic because we want to be joining Jesus in understanding not only how he talks about finances and money, but how he gets at our discipleship and following him and how our money reflects our, our hearts and ultimately how our finances reflect the heart of God. That's what we're trying to do here, right? So I want you to understand, like I said before, we are not going to then after this sermon hand out baskets and say, here we go, apply this right now. We're going to be looking at this to shape our hearts to follow Jesus and understanding how our, our hearts um, come in line with Jesus as disciples. We have these two famous quotes by Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon. Uh, we could throw these up. Martin Luther, there are three conversions necessary, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and then the conversion of the purse. In that order, he would say. <laughs> and Spurgeon, uh, the great British preacher from 100 years ago, with some Christians, the last part of their nature to ever get sanctified is their pockets. So they go right to the jugular on this stuff, and we want to be serious about how we take this topic. So if you feel uncomfortable with this category, we're going to pray as we work through this, Jesus, there's something here that you're addressing in my heart. 
and we want to lean in because we want to be faithful disciples of Jesus. And we find in this chapter of 2 Corinthians 9, the reason we are here is that the main point of this whole chapter, and we're going to start reading through it, is that we give to be like our cheerful, generous God. Right? That's why Paul wrote this whole chapter. That's why this chapter is in this book. We give to be like our cheerful, generous God. Can we throw that, that slide up? We give to be like our cheerful, generous God. And we need to ask the question, just like Scrooge at Christmas, why do we give? Well, we give to be faithful. We give because God is good. And we give because it does much good. Right? So that's what we're going to be looking through as we work through this passage. And I hope, my, my prayer for us is that we want to be practical in how we think through this category. There's some, there's some practical things we're going to talk about. But more importantly, we want to be a people that are cheerful and generous like God. So that means that our hearts need to be raised in faith for understanding who God is and desiring what God desires. So that is the point of this passage, and it reflects in our finances. So with that said, let's get going here in verse 1. We're going to pick up here, verse 1 through 5. I'm going to read, for the, read, us, read this for us. We give to be faithful. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your writingness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, right, Achaia is like, uh, would be like Manchester, New Hampshire, Achaia is like the state, and Corinth is the city, right, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated, saying nothing of you for being so confident. So I, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Right, so the background of what's going on here, right, Paul is basically... Uh, addressing the situation that happened in the early church where, uh, beginning of the book of Acts, all these people are in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit pours out on the church, mass conversions, and suddenly there is a massive number of people to be taken care of, specifically in Jerusalem, and because they've come to Christ, and they've come to Christ as Jews who converted to Christ, they basically got forsaken by their entire communities, and now they're kind of like living off of the help of the church because they're kind of like stranded refugees in Jerusalem needing help. And so what happens is the early church are kind of like, all right, we'll just throw our money together. We're going to take up offerings and donations. And obviously they didn't have, um, you know, like money transfer on their phones and they didn't have PayPal and they had to walk on cam walk and have camels. So it like took forever to collect money. So like a money collection back then would have taken like a year because you know, you got to send people around, bring the money back, all this stuff. So the Jerusalem collection is what's being addressed here. And Paul's basically saying like, okay, you guys said you're going to give this amount and uh, I want to make sure that you follow through on this. Um, because Paul, knowing the Corinthians, knows that they uh, could be a little forgetful <laughs> at times um, and they can get a little kind of whacked out in how they view things. But the interesting thing is that he does this in a way where he addresses the Corinthians by way of talking about Macedonia. And Macedonia would have been a a region that would have been more affected by the poverty of the early church. And they would have been a, more, a poorer church. You might think of them as the urban church of the area. And Paul is writing to the suburban church, saying, you guys have got a lot of financial stability, and 
when I talked to these Macedonians, this urban church, and I told them about your eagerness to give, they were so jazzed about it that they willingly just started throwing out their money all over the place and just started throwing all their money into the, into the bin, and they were so eager to see what you guys are going to give too. Now, notice this as well. Paul never addresses like the numbers of what they give because that's not really what he's, being, he's interested in. What he is addressing is the heart behind what they're doing. And the interesting thing is likely Paul actually didn't even ask Macedonia to give. Paul asked the less financially hit area of Corinth if they would give. And yet the Macedonians set this example of even in their poverty, they were eager to give to the support of the, of the church. But Paul does kind of apply this a little bit of pressure on Corinth to say, you guys, you guys might, have, might forget to do this. So just to make sure that we don't get embarrassed for, for boasting about you and that you aren't humiliated for saying one thing and not doing it, we're going to send some brothers and they're going to help make sure that you remember to grow in your discipleship in this area. So this, this, this paragraph is a helpful paragraph for us because it reminds us that sometimes we need help to remember to be faithful in our giving. It is a call to be faithful to our intentions to give. It is a, it is a paragraph that reminds us that if you forget about being generous and giving, you have good company in the church in Corinth that we have grown to love so much because they too forgot to give on a regular basis. And Paul is basically saying in this, be faithful to what you've said that you're going to do. Be faithful to your intention to support the ministry of the church. Right? This is not a sporadic giving. This is not a every once in a while when I remember. This is a regular giving for long-term faithfulness. The biblical call to generosity is not a call to impulsive giving, but rather to regular, consistent, helpful generosity. So... The pattern that they would have had, you would have seen this actually, we're preaching through, we're in 2 Corinthians right now. We're preaching through 1 Corinthians as a church. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, here's the pattern of how they would have had, the regular pattern of, of giving um, in, the, in the local church. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, right, the same thing, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, this is, so Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Right? There, there's a number of profound things that Paul's doing here. He's, he is uh, affirming uh, the authority of the local church, that we as a church are responsible for our finance together, but he is setting a pattern as well. Right? He's not talking about amounts or anything like that, but he is saying, here's a regular pattern. When you get together in worship, you bring your finances as a reflection of giving your life to God, and you give on a regular basis so that, for example, on a special collection, like he's talking about for, Goli- for, for, Cor- uh, for Jerusalem, I'm sorry, uh, we don't have to go through and kind of say, okay, Jacob, uh, where's that hundred bucks that you were talking about giving? <laughs> you know, uh, Jacob, you said here on the pledge that you're going to give 500 bucks towards the Jerusalem Council. Uh, we've got a $5 gift card to Starbucks. Thank you. Not quite what we're looking for. Can you fill out the rest of that? You know, so Paul is saying as a regular pattern, 
we are giving on a, on a, month, on a, on a weekly basis or in a regular pattern to fulfill our faithfulness that God's called us to. Having good intentions is a good thing, but it doesn't mean much unless we follow through. The final, in the final day, our works will be examined not, and not our intentions. And so Paul is saying here, while we can be forgetful, we want to give in a faithful way. Right? This is, uh, can we throw up this picture of the, uh, of the action figure thing? Uh, this is a picture of the Invisible Jim. I don't know if you guys have seen this before. Invisible Jim was an action figure that was uh, marketed a number of years ago. Um, it is a cardboard back with a plastic covering for Invisible Jim, who is an invisible uh, doll, so invisible that when you open it up, you can't find him. Right? There is actually, uh, you, I, I think it's, it's funny, uh, it says a, a camouflage, camouflage suit sold separately. They'll never see him coming. <laughs> it's like a camouflage suit. So the joke in this is that while there is supposed to be an action figure, he is so invisible that he's not actually there. Right? We could take that down because it's going to be distracting. You're going to start reading all the extra stuff in there. That can be like what our giving intentions can be. We intend to give, but the follow-through is not there. And so, Paul has given us this chapter and this paragraph so that we are called to and filled with faith for the practical realities of giving faithfully. The question that we need to be asking is, am I grateful and eager to give to my local church? You'll notice this here at the end of verse 5. So that it is a willing gift and not an exaction. He's actually said that a number of times in chapter 8. He's going to say that again in chapter 9. I want you to understand, what we are talking about here is not, you must give. This is an invitation, and we're going to keep saying, using that phrase, to giving on a, in a faithful, regular way as an expression of our gratitude for what God is doing in our church and through our church in our city. How do I follow through on my gratitude is the, point of this, is the question of this paragraph. How do I follow through on my gratitude for what God's doing in my life through the church, what he's doing in through the church in the city, through our church with other churches? How, does my, how do my finances reflect that? So one of the ways that we have this set up as a church, now you'll recognize that we don't actually pass baskets, right? Some, we've had discussions about this. Should we pass baskets? Should we not pass baskets? Um, it's an old time thing where you, you um, in the age before the internet and credit cards and all that stuff, um, people would just, they only had cash. So I remember growing up, my dad would write the check, put it in the envelope, put it in the basket, and we'd pass it around. And like, I was always kind of like, can I just have a dollar to throw in there? Like, I felt like there was something like magical about doing it. I don't know. But we don't do that. We primarily have, um, we have online giving and we have the boxes. And the reason, one of the reasons we don't pass our baskets is because a number of you give online. And so if we were to pass baskets, it would actually, re, it, would re, um, it would communicate the opposite of the heart of this church, right? If we pass baskets, it would look like, well, nobody's giving. <laughs> Because at the, at the same time, I'm very familiar that we have very generous people that are giving and giving online so that it's not seen and are giving in a way that it, a basket would not reflect carefully or appropriately. However, we need visual reminders for giving. So that's why we put the boxes here. But if you do give online, I don't know if you, we, our family gives online. Um, it is very convenient to remember, right? You just plug in your information and it just 
on a, whatever your setup, monthly, weekly, whatever, it just gets deducted. I can forget that we give to the church. I had to ask Michelle this week. I'm like, I'm preaching on giving. Michelle, have we given? <laughs> that, is a, that is one of the downsides of online giving. And so one of the things that we need to be doing if we are giving online is to remember on a weekly basis when it comes time for the announcement about giving to say in our hearts, to pause for a moment and say, okay, God, I, even though the transaction happens when or wherever, in my heart, my desire is to give for your purposes. Take it a moment as a moment to pray and be reminded, okay, God, you've been generous to me and I want to be faithful. I'm grateful for these tools, but I want my heart to be filled with gratitude so that whatever the mechanical side of it of giving online, I, I want to be faithful to giving to your purposes. The other side of this, you may be hearing this and you're thinking, I have no clue how to get my finances in order. <laughs> I have no clue how to run my books. I am so drowning in debt that I have no idea how to, how to work my finances. Um, there's this thing uh, Dave Ramsey's put together called Financial Peace University. Um, it's an incredibly helpful tool. Um, it helps you work through, I mean, he's got some weird things of, actually here we are talking about online giving with credit cards and he's kind of like cut up the credit cards and he's like super anti all that stuff. Anyhow, it's super helpful. A number of the folks in our church have done it. And if that's something that would be helpful for you, I would love to talk with you about how we could set that up to work through that class because it is an incredibly helpful, very practical way of understanding more, much more in detail how the, how the Bible informs how we think about our finances. And their, their little tagline is, live like nobody else so you can give like nobody else. And the, that, the purpose of that tagline is not to say, own five houses so you can give to whoever you want. The purpose is to say, um, our world cultivates uh, a, a debt economy. Right? We live in a culture that swipe it and forget it, and then, oh my gosh, I've got $50,000 in credit debt, or whatever it is. Or how many of my peers, my friends that I went to college with um, have over $100,000 of school debt, right? right? We are a debt economy. And so the purpose of that class is to say, how do we get out of debt? And because God's been good to us, we want to live differently than the world, but we, God's been good to us, so we want to give like God. So that's the purpose of the class. Interested in it, let me know. I think it's a helpful way to talk, think through this whole category of how do we give in a faithful way. So with that said, we're now going to pick up in verse 6. We are asking the question, we are, we're looking at this whole chapter. We want to give, we want to be like our cheerful, generous God. We want to give faithfully. And now we want to pick up in verse 6 to 11. We want to give because God is good. Right? That is the purpose of this next section. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So 
Here's, here, here is a chapter that begins to make us feel a little uncomfortable. If you're familiar with the, with the evangelical landscape today, because you're kind of like, seeds and money. Oh my gosh, is Paul a prosperity preacher? Is he saying, if I give my seed gift of this amount, I'm going to get X amount of dollars back? Right, so no, that's not the purpose of this section. Just want you to understand, if that's how you're hearing it preached or you've heard it preached, uh, those people are dead wrong and probably don't know Jesus. Right? This passage is not about how you can give your money to God and then God becomes uh, a bank that you just kind of pull the thing on and I gave $100 and I'm going to get $1,000 back. It's not the way this works. So here's what's going on. Right? This, look at verse 6. To the, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's using an agricultural metaphor, right? So in agriculture, right, you got a bunch of corn. I got a bunch of corn seed. Well, the corn seed is actually the same thing that you eat, right? So it's also a part of your food. I'm going to, I need, but I need to sow the corn seed so that I get more corn next year. So if I put a corn here and then hundred feet down the road, I put uh, another corn seed that's sowing sparingly. And what are you going to get? <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of corn <laughs> and then you're going to be in real trouble. Right. And, and the, the, the image is basically, you got to put a bunch of seeds down because then you will be reaping a lot of seed, you know, corn seeds, right? So the, the picture is, as you sow bountifully, it will cost you to sow. But there is a great reward in sowing that is beyond what you could have imagined and what you gave. Now, the reward is not, if you sow money, you're going to get money back, right? You pick up that, he who, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Right? He's not saying increase the bottom line of your bank account. He is saying that God will reward you and he will give you um, rewards for giving financial, giving generously. But they may not be all financial repercussions, right? I think it's funny, or it's interesting. It says here in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word there is hilaron. It's the, the, the base word for our word hilarious. God loves somebody who just laughs at the world. I laugh at the way the world works, and I'm so eager to give because I am getting so much joy that, as a gift from God by giving in this generous way, Right? So let me, let, me, let me kind of put a pause here, and I want to address the whole category of tithing, because I think it fits in here, because you're talking about giving, not giving under compulsion. Okay, what's the baseline for, how, what does this actually mean in real terms? Well, tithing is a general principle from the Old Testament that has been used as kind of, uh, in various ways, and we're just going to give you my thoughts on this whole category. Um, so we have, for example, verses like Malachi 3, can we throw that out there? Malachi 3, verses 10, uh, 8 through 10. Uh, I don't have it in my notes. Do we have it on the slide? Now concerning the collection of the saints, that's not Malachi 3, 18, 3 8 through 10. <laughs> I uh, copied and pasted the wrong thing. <laughs> I was going through this very quickly. Now do I know my Bible well enough to find Malachi 3, 8 through 10? Yes, I do. Here we go. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Um, will man rob God? 
That's the way it starts out. <laughs> Yet you are robbing me. But you say, have I, um, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So we look at that and we're kind of like, the tithe is super serious, and if I don't tithe, I'm stealing from God. I want to remind us, that was said in Old Testament context where they were basically a theocracy. Um, the, the, the church basically paid for the, state, the roads to get paved, the church paid for people to be employed, to do the worship service, and do medical care, and all these other things. Actually, the tithe was uh, started kind of baseline 10%, but if you add up all the giving in the Old Testament, it was around somebody's uh, 25 to 30% of their income going to uh, Jerusalem at the time, right? Basically, the theocracy, the government, and the church all kind of wrapped up in one. Uh, because of Jesus... Those things are no longer realities that we live under, right? We don't live under a nation, uh, a theocracy. So King's Cross, as much as I would like to do these things and, and help the roads improve in Manchester, we don't pave the streets. <laughs> um, there are certain streets I would love to repave. Um, there are a number of ways in which uh, we are not like the Old Testament dynamic. And yet there is a principle being played out there of generosity, right? Saying God's been good to us and then withholding all of our finances from him. Right. That, that, that's what's going on. So, uh, for example, I've heard of churches where they will um, evaluate your uh, statement at your, what is it, your, what is it that you send to the IRS? Your, your basically end of your statements to kind of make sure, like, well, you made $50,000, did you give $5,000 to the church? Like, they, they would, you know, look at your giving and compare it to your bank account and all that stuff. Uh, we don't do that, and if you hear it, <laughs> Just so you know, I'm not going to be asking you, calling up the roster, like, okay, you know, John, are you giving you, here's what you made. Okay, did you give this? That's not, we don't do that, right? That's just weird and wrong. Um, but I think the New Testament principle is this. Whatever was true and spoken of God's people in the Old Testament is amplified and intensified in the New Testament. So the principle of tithing in the Old Testament is a great baseline for understanding how do we practically think about generosity in our lives today as God's people? Because we've been freed from having to think about like a local place of like Jerusalem as the center of God's presence on earth. No, God's presence on earth is here in Manchester too, and he's using us and other churches to spread the fame of Jesus in our city. The principle, how do I then reflect my, gener- my gratitude that God has been good to me here in Manchester? I give to my local church. I give to a local work of God. So then to swing back here, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to pull out here for us verse 9. As it is written, he has determined freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Right? Here is the crazy part of this whole thing. Can, I, can we throw up the slide that I have of 2 Corinthians 8 and, verse, and chapter 9 as well? See, because here is what Paul says in verse, chapter 8, verse 8. Verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So here is this gospel reflection of, of, of how God's heart and our finances meet, right? Paul is basically saying Jesus, who created and owned the entire world, owns everything, um, has 
created everything. It's all his idea. <laughs> he was rich beyond measure, beyond understanding, and yet he chose to come into this world to take on a, the body of a man, live the perfect life in our place. He was a carpenter from Nazareth. Nobody would know Nazareth in the history of, of histories unless Jesus came from it, right? It was like the Potonk of Potonk towns in New Hampshire, right? Like the, whatever that town is that's like north of Littleton that like 500 people live in that none of us know the name for, that's where Jesus is from. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and yet he, was, he sat on the throne of the universe and then came to live in Nazareth, gave up all of his, of his riches and wealth, and died under the poverty of the wrath of God in our place. The poverty of soul that we all have, that apart from God's goodness to us, we would have no riches in our lives, no happiness, no joy, that would last eternally. And it's because of that transaction that Jesus did that then we get to verse 9 and we get this incredible other side of the story. Right? Not only did he do all that for us, but now it says to us, as it is written, he has distributed freely. That's not talking about God. That's from Psalm, 120, from Psalm 122. That is talking about you and me. We, as we distribute freely and as we give to the poor... Our righteousness will endure forever, is the promise. That is the other side of the gospel. God has, in Jesus Christ, died for all of our sins and failures and weaknesses and problems and mistakes and everything that would mar us and mark us as people who are absolute failures. And he has, in Jesus, reversed that entire equation so that we are now seen as righteous in Jesus and then all the little ways and hidden ways in which we give to God's mission and we obey him and follow him are then basically as little jewels put into a crown of righteousness for us that will last for eternity. He said, this is where you gave and were faithful. And you gave because God's been good to you. And yeah, maybe it wasn't perfect. But because of how Jesus washes over that, it is a gift of God of righteousness that is credited to you for all eternity. Right? That is a crazy thing about this whole thing. We're talking about giving. Now we're suddenly we're talking about eternity and joy and gladness. Because this is the crazy thing. God, God is so eager for you to be participating in his heart and joy that he will take even our fledgling attempts at giving from our finances, giving secretly to support other people in the church, giving gifts to our neighbors, he uses those things as ways of saying, that reflects my heart on the streets, and you will be receiving joy and gladness with me for all eternity. If you don't got Jesus in the equation, I don't know how that equation works out, because <laughs> it is in a crazy situation. So let me, let, me, let me kind of finish this out, and we'll move on. But I just want to say... Uh, the way we kind of operate as finances in the church is I don't actually know who gives what, and I kind of keep it that way, right? I, I don't actually know who gives what. It's not interesting to me because I don't really care about the numbers. Um, from the beginning of the church, we have had an accountant who's managed things because I don't want things to go bad <laughs> with church accounts, right? Things can go really bad with the finances of the church. Um, and if they do go bad, I want somebody that's on the hook for it, right? So that's why we have an accountant. <laughs> Right, um, 
But in that process of how we do things, uh, we have Drew, um, who's the treasurer for the church, and he helps me kind of make decisions with the finances, and he helps us all kind of work things together. I mention all this to say that as we set a budget for the church and as we talk about giving and who's giving what and all that stuff, like it's all set up in a way where your, your um, giving is protected as being before God with very minor involvement from the leadership so that like, I'm not thinking, oh, here's so-and-so in the church and they gave $500. I'm going to pray for them a little bit more. Like, I want to make sure that the integrity of your faith before the Lord is preserved and yet that we have integrity for our finances as a church so that when you're called to give, you can give with confidence saying, okay, I know that my money is going to be managed in a way that is honoring and delighting to the Lord and how we're giving and, who we're, and what we're giving to. So I hope that you, we can talk more about that if you're kind of curious about the mechanisms behind that, but I want you to understand that as a church, I see the generosity of this church. I don't see all the details of it all the time, but I see the generosity. And it is such a joy to have a small, one of the best things is being able to have a little window into seeing the ways in which you are reflecting a trust and faith that God is good to you and that there is rewards coming for you and that his grace is providing for you in ways that I have a little window into seeing. That was a sacrificial gift. There must be a way in which God is responding and in a, grace, a gracious provision for that person. I, I want you to understand, it, it is a joy as a pastor to see that. So let that be an encouragement if you are giving. Let it be a mark of faith if you're not. And an encouragement to be growing all the same. So with that said, are we good? Are, can, we, can we land the plane with verse three or, or third point or do we need to shut it down right now? Like, we're we good? Okay. We're all on board? All right. Nobody's hating me for talking about money. I need, I need some positive affirmation here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay. Main point of this whole chapter, we are giving like our cheerful, generous God. So we've looked at how we can give faithfully, which is how he's laid out in verse 1 through 5. We give because God is good in verses 6 to 11. Here we are in 11 to 15. We're going to finish this out. We give because it does much good. Right? This is not going to be a surprise to any of us if we've been following along, but here we have verse 11 to 15. I want you to pay attention as we are reading through this to all the thanksgiving language that's used, all the thankfulness language that's used, all the gratitude language that's used. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it, also, but it is also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Right? There's a lot of thankfulness that's, that's produced simply by the way in which the church is giving to the mission of God. Right? And this is the incredible thing. If you're following through this, right? verse 15, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. I don't think that he's talking about the money. He's talking about the faith and the excitement about who God is to be generous to give. Right? He is saying, you were given a gift of God to be generous 
that then produced thanksgiving in other people for God's generous giving, and that now your, your gratitude and joy in God is increasing because of the gift that God gave you to give, right? It's just like gratitude circle that keeps growing. And it's all because God wants us to be joining his heart, and it's reflected in our finances and how we give, because it will do a lot of good, right, the specific thing, providing for the saints and the, the church in need in Jerusalem, right? So it's a very practical, tangible, there's a real need, let's give to that need, and yet God's giving the, the faith to give to the need, and then the need provides for the need, and thankfulness all around. It is a gift that this is the heart of God that he invites us into, and it produces a great, a great amount of good in the world around him. It is good to give to local causes, right? I don't want you to feel like, oh, now I have to give all my money to the local church. It's good to give to local causes. It's good to provide for the needs of those around us. It's good for us to provide for international needs, right? So we, uh, our family gives to support an orphan in Africa um, uh, through an organization called Covenant Mercies, right? We've, we've given to that for 30 bucks a, week, a month for, I don't know, eight or 10 years we've given, right? It's good to give to those things. Uh, as a general, I, I was looking at some statistics lately. Generally, millennials tend to give to causes. Um, older generations tend to give to organizations. And I think what we can be seeing in not only giving to uh, integrity-filled organizations that plant churches and, pro- and propel the mission of God is that we are both giving to the cause of the gospel and giving to, for example, with Acts 29, giving to organizations that have um, integrity at the ears and how they give towards mission and support mission. So if you're looking for a way to give, um, I, again, obviously we're, we're going to talk about how you can give to the local church, but one, way, one thing I want to put on your radar is that... Um, so. You guys remember David Pickney up here, River of Grace. It's kind of silly to say, do you remember David Pickney? He's like the godfather of church planting in New Hampshire. David Pickney, he runs the Rural Collective for Acts 29. They are now putting on in Guatemala at the end of January um, rural, the Rural Collective for church planting in Latin America. For 100 bucks, you can give to support a, a pastor going to that conference, um, and that will cover all of his transportation, all of his lodging, all of his food for that conference that will equip him for church planting and joining the mission of God in Latin America. I'm very excited about this. I want, if you can, I would encourage you to give. I, I have a slide for it, but I just put it on our Facebook page this morning if you're able to give to that. But that is one of the ways that we can give to support good works that are happening in areas where there is a, a desperate need for just basic, some financial support, Right. For 100 bucks, you can support this pastor to get trained and helped and equipped. Um, also, if you're looking for other ways, there's church plants that I know about through David that, um, like in the backwoods of Guatemala, that I think their total annual budget's like 1500 bucks. <laughs> you know, it's something like incredibly cheap. And so for 1500 bucks, you can support a church plant in Guatemala um, and join the mission of God. It can in- and produce an incredible amount of good in the world for the sake of Jesus. I would ask you to consider, as we're kind of closing this out, the whole point of this chapter is not for you to leave this morning feeling I am a horrible human being for how I give or don't give. That's not the point of this passage. It is to raise our faith for saying, God, you've been good to me. You've been good to me through my local church. I want to support and contribute 
continue to supply the ministry of the saints within our local church for the mission of God here? What can that look like for me? Right? This is a free will offering that you're being invited to give. Right? So tithe is a great baseline. If you're looking for ways of starting out, tithe, try it out for three months. It's a great baseline. We can talk about how that works out. I can give you the details of how we do this in our, in our family. But the question that you need to ask, if you're a member of this family, what does it look like for you to cheerfully and generously join God's mission through our church for the good of our city and our neighborhood? I know that our church has a reputation within the city for being a safe place for people to feel the love of God. And that is because you have generously given to support and strengthen the local church and its needs. So I want you to hear this as both an encouragement and a commendation. You guys have been generous. The purpose of preaching on this is so that we build our faith and that we continue to join as we can, generously joining God's heart for the mission of Christ in Manchester. We give to be like our cheerful and generous God. So let's pray that we become people who grow in this. Father, I pray that as we, as we consider how we can be growing in our giving, Father, I pray that there would be practical ways which we come out of this this morning for giving to your mission, to supporting our church, but Lord, more importantly, that our hearts reflect your heart. You're a generous and cheerfully giving God. And so I pray, Father, that we would be people who cheerfully and generously give like you. And would you do this so that Jesus' name is made great here in Manchester and beyond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.